want to, uh, this morning, as we uh, prepare for communion, um, those are symbols of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it reminds us, every time we do this, of the cross and what Jesus did for each one of us, and it is something that Jesus commanded of us as his disciples that you and I should do this, uh, that we should take uh, communion. I want to read a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, and the passage does go on, but this is what I want to focus on this morning for a few minutes uh, by way of introduction. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, in the same way after supper he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant or testament in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So by way of introduction, I want to just point out five things in this text um, to remind us about. The first one is that the symbols that we use, um, and they vary a little bit from church to church, um, but the two symbols are bread and a cup, and sometimes places use wafers, and sometimes they use unleavened bread, and sometimes they use crackers and, and different things. Sometimes they use a loaf and have it broken at, uh, up in the congregation, but bread and the cup representing the blood of Christ and so those are things that are commanded right here in Scripture uh, for us. The second thing I want you to notice, though, about communion uh, um, is that the attitude, the primary attitude that you and I are to take when we take communion is one of thanksgiving. It says, after he had given thanks, he broke the bread, he took the cup. After he had given thanks. And, and it's not just a matter of saying table grace. It's an attitude that Christ had and that he wants us to have every time we receive the Lord's Supper. There ought to be this attitude among us of, of thanksgiving for what God has done for us. Our primary attitude towards communion uh, we can have a number of attitudes, but our primary attitude should be that of thanksgiving. The third thing I want you to notice in this passage is that the focus of, of communion is not to be yourself. The focus of communion should always be Christ. I want you to notice two different places in this text. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Now, especially in holiness circles, of which we are a part, we have taken the next passage and almost twisted the meaning of that to the extent that you and I tend to come to communion almost in remembrance of ourselves. Because we are so worried about what we have done wrong or this or that or something else that sometimes in holiness circles we spend more time being introspective than we do thinking about Christ and remembering Him. And so I just want to point that out, that Jesus said to us, do this in remembrance of me. He should be the focus this morning, 
not me, not you. It is what Christ has done for us. There is nothing that you and I can do to deserve communion. There is nothing that I could ever do in my whole life to be worthy of taking of the bread and the cup this morning. If it wasn't for what Jesus did on the cross, there wouldn't be a chance that I could take those elements and and be worthy of them. The scripture says, take this in a worthy manner. It's not talking about a worthy person, but a worthy manner. There ought to be a reverence when we come to communion. But it's not about me being worthy of communion. I can't get worthy of communion. (laughs) Jesus did what it takes to make me worthy of communion. And it's all to his credit. The next thing is communion is part of obedience to Christ. He simply says, do this. He comes to the Great Commission. He says, go and make disciples. And this is just that clear. He says, do this. Do this. God wants us to take communion. The the fifth thing uh, that he proclaims here is something that is I, I want to spend some time on this morning. But it is communion proclaims the Lord's death until he comes. Now, I want you to just hang on to that thought a little bit because uh, I'm going to take this morning to do some things that are very unusual for me and probably fairly unusual in Protestant circles um, and look at some symbols of the cross that we would tend to um, ignore. And um, I'm going to look at the crucifix, the IHS symbol, and the N. I-N-R-I symbol this morning, and talk about that a little bit. Protestants, you might call people of the resurrection. And rightfully so. Our churches have empty crosses in front of them. Um, The walls of our homes, though you wouldn't find one in every room, the walls of our our homes have a cross probably somewhere in our in our house. Um, the jewelry that hangs from our neck is often a simple cross, um, that kind of thing. And we make no apologies for that for a number of reasons. The cross reminds us of the words of Jesus where he says, it is finished. It is done. Um, the, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ is not an ongoing death. Death. He died once for all, for all sin on the cross. The early church, when they went to choose apostles, who did they choose? They chose witnesses of what? They chose witnesses of the resurrection. Paul and the apostles preached the good news of the resurrection, and they stood trial for preaching the resurrection. That was the key cornerstone for that. Peter says, when you get down in 1 Peter, he says that we have been given a new birth into a living hope. Through what? Through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And so it's a good thing, and we're very happy that we might be called the people of the resurrection. 
Now, Catholics, uh, on the other hand, in contrast to that, you might call them people of the crucifixion. And I do not mean that in any way to be a negative or uh, a criticism at all. It's simply a, a different focus and a different um, direction in which they look at things. I went down to um, Sacred Heart Monastery and spent uh, 24 hours there this week in a, in a prayer retreat um, just for myself. And uh, the Benedict... Benedictine sisters uh, were there, and they were just great hosts. And I don't know if some of you, some of you probably know Sister Lucille. Um, she served many, many years over in the Mandaree community, and, and she said that she retired last year. She said, you know, she said, I got to be 80, and I finally decided that it probably was time to retire. <laughs> <laughs> Just a dear, gracious lady. But anyway, she she was down there, and she sends her greetings to you uh, this morning, and I'm supposed to get them to Father Brian uh, girls also. But I took note, while I was there at that monastery, I took note that in every room, there was a crucifix on the wall in a prominent uh, place. And a crucifix is simply a cross, with an image of the dying Savior suspended from it. And it reminded me of my days as a, as a boy, about the age of, of Chase, um, being in St. Luke's Hospital in Aberdeen and spending that summer there. And um, in every hospital room and surgery room and recovery, everywhere there was always a crucifix hanging on the wall. Um, the monastery chapel, of course, had a large... Um, Crucifix, and as I walked across the beautiful manicured lawns there at the at the monastery, um, there was one bench, uh, two benches actually facing a, an outdoor cross, uh, outdoor crucifix. But I did notice that on the outside, the big bell tower um, has a simple uh, cross at the top of it, rather than a crucifix. Well, as opposed to Protestants, Catholics. Uh, Catholic churches have crucifixes, and they hang their crucifixes on their walls. They hang them around their necks. Uh, they hold them, little ones, in their hands, especially when they're praying or fasting or grieving. And, and Catholics, so Catholics might be called the people of the crucifixion. And as I said, that's not necessarily bad. It's just a different perspective. And Protestants have largely rejected the crucifix, uh, partly due because of a fear of that becoming a form of idolatry. Um, quite honestly, I don't know that there's much difference between the, the danger of worshiping a crucifix than there is worshiping a cross um, as a symbol myself. But the other thing is that we really want to be people who emphasize the power and the triumph of the resurrection. But as a whole, Catholics will pay attention a lot more to matters surrounding the crucifixion when it comes up for to Lent. Uh, they will spend a great deal, give a great deal more attention to Lent, to Monday Thursday, which most uh, evangelicals don't even know what that means. Um, Good Friday, and every time they go to church, they're confronted with images of of um, the seven stations of the cross down the side walls of the church. Protestants, on the other hand, uh, might get geared up if they don't go to church any other time to come on Easter Sunday morning, and then they'll go home, and that's good for another year. Uh, <laughs> you know, So you, know, you have to think about all of that. So when we come to communion, the thing I want to do, first of all, this morning, 
is while we look at the cross, I want to remind you that um, while we look at that empty cross that represents the empty tomb, before that empty cross and before that empty tomb, there was a cross with a real dying Savior hanging on it suspended. There was a live crucifixion. And Paul says that what we do today reminds us not of a cross. But what we do today reminds us of a crucifixion. It reminds us of a crucifix. The the crucifix reminds us that my sins are no small thing. I can come and I can look at the cross, the empty cross, and I can celebrate the resurrection, and I can get almost lazy about thinking about the weight of my sin and how awful my sin is if I never, ever look at the crucifixion. If I never look at the crucifix and I never realize that a Savior gave his life and suffered for my sin and that that was the only remedy that there was for you and I to be able to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to remind us today that the crucifix, the crucifixion reminds us that our sin is is not small in the eyes of God. The crucifixion also reminds us that the most serious problem that you and I have was solved at the cross. The most serious problem that you and I have was solved at the cross, not at the resurrection. The resurrection gives us the most wonderful promise <laughs> that we have. But it is at the cross that your prob- your biggest problem and my biggest problems were solved. It was there at the cross where Jesus died for my sin. The third thing that the crucifix reminds us of is that my righteousness and my good works are as filthy rays compared to what Jesus did on the cross. You know, when you look at the good works of Jesus dying for me, a sinner, an enemy of God, that puts everything else I ever do to shame. I will never measure up to that. And it reminds us that our good works are as filthy rags and that nothing that you and I do for good works will ever get us into the kingdom of heaven. And you had better not count on that. You can spend your whole life doing good things and go straight to hell. You need a Savior. You need to know Jesus Christ as your Savior if you're going to know Jesus and you're going to go to heaven. The crucifixion reminds us of that fact that there is nothing that you and I can do to get to heaven. The crucifix and the crucifixion also reminds us that you and I are to daily deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus. Now, those are Jesus' words. But it's easy for us as Protestants to come and look at the, the cross of victory and triumph and all of that and the empty tomb and we can just get all excited and, and kind of ignore the words of Jesus that I need to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow him. And when you and I, when we take communion and we settle down and we remember that Jesus died on a cross for my sin 
And I remember it's that Savior that called me and has called you to deny myself. I think, oh, okay. Well, there's nothing that I'm denying myself that measures up to that. (laughs) I need to take up my cross and I need to follow Jesus. The cross also reminds us, the crucifixion reminds us that you and I are called to get our hands dirty and even bloody for the sake of our encounter in the world around us. It's easy for us as Christians to isolate ourselves from the world around us. That is not what Jesus did. He was pierced for our transgressions. He hung on a cross and died for our sins. He got engaged in the world, and we are called to do that also. I think it is part of the part of the differences between Catholics and Protestants as they uh, focus more on the crucifix. I think that has helped them perhaps to be better than Protestants in terms of building hospitals and running schools and a variety of all kinds of missions and all of those kind of things. And they take on lifelong vows of poverty and chastity and obedience and spend their lives in entire obedience to the Lord uh, Jesus Christ and to his church. But it springs from their view that comes from the crucifix instead of a cross. And again, I make no apologies for this cross and it will always be here. But that's just a different angle. And I think sometimes Catholics look at some of us and they say, well, they're practicing a lightweight Christianity. (laughs) They don't see us putting our faith into practice, living it out. Bishop Um, Kennington of Trinity Episcopal Church in Alabama says he keeps both an empty cross and a crucifix in his office. He said if a person is focused only on the empty cross, he thinks it's possible to forget the cost of the sacrifice for each one of us that is so great, so amazing, and so divine as Charles Wesley penned in his great um, hymn. He says... The empty cross can get antiseptic. It can get clean and painless and just sentimental. And he said there's dangers there. And he said there's also dangers if the crucifix is the only thing people see and that it's looked on and they forget that the end of the story doesn't end on Good Friday. But there is an Easter Sunday and there is victory and there is power and there is um, the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to resurrect us. And so the crucifix, first of all, begs the question, how committed are you and I to our faith? Are we willing to take up the cross, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow Christ? There's another symbol um, that I want to talk to you about today um, that is often presented with um, a crucifix. Um, And you will see it quite often in Protestant churches, um, actually. And those are the letters IHS. In chapter 10 of uh, George Eliot's book, Silas Marner, um, Dolly Winthrop brings Silas Marner some cakes. And in the top of those lard cakes are those, those three letters, IHS, stamped in the top of each cake. And the irony is that Dolly doesn't know what they mean. Silas doesn't know what they mean, and he asks, and Dolly simply puts them on because she has seen those letters at church every Sunday. Because a lot of times in the little wafers, 
Communion wafers, you'll take in some churches, they'll have those little letters stamped right on them, I-H-S. <laughs> and Dolly says, uh, you know, I see them every Sunday at church, and so I assume there's some benefit to them, so I just put them on the cakes that I bring to you. And her explanation is rather draw. They're good letters, elsewise they wouldn't be in church at all. <laughs> but anyway, so just like Dolly and Silas Marner, I went to church as a child. And I saw those letters every single Sunday um, at church. I saw them in our communion altar table. Um, our old one over at the uh, old church had do this in remembrance of me. But I've also seen some altar tables that had IHS uh, written on it and stamped on it. And But my father um, died 50 years ago and a month ago. And... Um, we bought a communion set just like this one for our church. And so I would see that every Sunday. And right in the center of the cross, you see the letters IHS. And every Sunday, I would kind of look at that and think, I wonder what that means. And no one else seemed to know either. Um, but anyway, um, as far as I knew, no one ever knew what that meant. But it's simply a Christogram. And uh, it's a Christogram for Jesus. And Greek has its own alphabet, and the letter J that we have in English does not exist in the Greek. And so Jesus is um, Asus, and capitalized Asus, and so it takes the first three letters of the, of the capitalized Jesus, J-E-S, um, Iota, Eta, Sigma, and that's the summary of those three letters there um, in, in the English. But there's also something else that it possibly stands for, um, and that is from um, in hoc signo, um, the Latin, and it's an abbreviation, and that means um, by this sign you will conquer. By this sign you will conquer. And there's the story, a tradition or legend of Constantine when the Roman Empire was beginning to fragment and he wanted to bring it all back together under his control. And he had a vision one night of a burning cross. And then he had this phrase in his mind, by this sign you will conquer. And so he took all of his swords and, and um, all of his equipment and he painted signs of the cross on all his shields and he won the war and he became the first Christian uh, Roman emperor. Well, anyway, so what's the question? What does IHS do for us? What should we do about it? Well, first of all, it reminds me that my life is not about myself. My life is about Jesus, and, and Jesus right there, re being reminded right in, in the center of the cross with those letters IHS, or a lot of times it'll be stamped onto the top of a, a cross. Um, those letters uh, remind me that my Christian faith is not about me. It is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have, just because we're uh, sinful human uh, people, we have a tendency to turn and make everything about us. My life, your life, is all about Jesus. It also reminds us that it is through lifting up the cross of Christ that you and I can be victorious over all the different situations in life that come at us. And then quickly, this last um, symbol that I want to mention this morning is something that you will see quite often above a crucifix, 
Um, and that is the letters I-N-R-I. These letters are an abbreviation for the titulus um, that was the sign that was hung above uh, Jesus on the cross, listing the reason for which he was crucified. And it stands for Jesus um, Nazarenus um, Rex Idiorum. And those, those letters translated mean Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Well, indeed, as I roamed around the, the campus of uh, Sacred Heart Monastery this week, I noticed frequently that on the top of the cross, those letters would be stamped into the cross or on a plate attached to the cross on top of the crucifix. Well, remember the words of Pilate. He wrote those words in Hebrew and in Greek and in Latin, uh, and the chief priest came and said, no, we don't want it to say Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. We want it to only say that he said he was the king of the Jews. They didn't want, you know, Pilate giving credence to anything that Jesus had said, and Pilate said, what I have written, I have written, and he stamped it up there on the cross uh, for all people to read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. With those words, with those words, we come to communion this morning and we are asked this question, am I a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? So these three questions I pose to you this morning as we come to communion, how committed are you to your Christian faith? Is my life really about Jesus? And am I truly a servant of this king, Jesus, that even Pilate said was the king?